Hey, it's great to have you here today. Before we look into God's word, I'd love for us to pray, and I invite you to join me in that. So, Father, thank you today that you love me in spite of myself, that you see all of my past and my regrets and the things that I wish I could ever do over a mulligan. And you see all of it, and you still welcome us home to a relationship with you. You You've paid the price through Jesus, your son, that we can be forgiven. And not only forgiven, but then you work on setting us free. And I thank you for that, for the power of your spirit who comes to live within. So thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, for your life in us today when we receive you. And Lord, some are on the journey, investigating, not really sure what they believe. I thank you for your patience with us. And, and I pray that you would just continue to help us in our growth journey. Uh, Lord, thank you that we can do so in a country that has such freedom. And we pray for our nation today. We pray for our local mayors and city councils, our police and fire, other service personnel, for our state, national, Lord, for our president and his cabinet, uh, for Congress, for the Supreme Court, Lord. So much happening in these days. And we pray that you would give discernment and wisdom, that people would lead with integrity, and that there would be a sense of not just needing to, to dig my heels in and, and, and tow my party line, but to do what really would be best for our nation. God, would you make it so, even when it seems so difficult? Lord, we have about 100-plus youth uh, going to Orlando this week for the Life Conference, joining probably 6,000 people. And I pray for our youth, for the uh, adult leaders of the team here at Grace, God, that you would work in such a powerful way that there would be so many youth who look back and goes at that conference, the life conference in 2022, that God just got a hold of my life in a new way or put me on a new path or shaped the direction of my life or helped me to see the gifts that he's given me. So, Lord, we pray, would you do something remarkable in these days ahead and protect them in every way, we pray. Now, Lord, as we look into your word at a really practical section of Scripture, give us understanding and help this to lead us uh, to be more uh, a unified group of believers and a, a stronger witness to those around us. In your name we pray, amen. So let me start with a few questions here. Get your mind going. Hopefully you got your coffee this morning. So here's the uh, question. Just a couple of things we'd like to get your opinion. And don't answer out loud. Don't want you to offend the person sitting next to you or down the row. So here's a couple of them. Ready? Is it okay for a Christian to practice yoga? To get um, cosmetic surgery? To be cremated? Maybe right after cosmetic surgery. No, I'm just teasing. It's not that. <laughs> Is it okay to drink wine in moderation? Is it okay for my wife, Mary, to be smoking marijuana? Um, <laughs> some of you going, I'm just trying to picture that right now. Mary, with a joint in her hands, yeah. Is it okay to vote for you fill in the blank? Because <laughs> I don't want to do that. Is it okay to watch Stranger Things? Some of you are going, what stranger things? Others are going, I spent four and a half freaking hours this week watching that. <laughs> Is it okay to, to go down to the Jack Casino and to gamble? Um, I could mention a whole lot of other things, but 
as a follower of Jesus, where would you land on those different things? There's a lot of disputable matters we could say that Christians don't see eye to eye, and, and we sometimes wonder, like, how do I decide those things? And then how do I relate to other followers of Jesus who see it completely differently than I do? Would you say that in the last couple of years, we've had some things that Christians have been a little bit at odds over, <laughs> like masks or vaccines, or we could mention there's always something new that's coming, but we have a, a sure and certain guide that doesn't tell us like specifically and everything, but we have principles that we can follow. So we're in the book of Romans, and we've been looking at doing a journey through this book. We're coming to the end of the book. We're in Romans chapter 14. If you have your Bible, or if you have your cell phone, it can just, on the Bible app, go to Romans chapter 14, and we're going to be answering the question, what do you do when Christians disagree? And these are principles really not helpful only for relationships with other Christians, but even if you have people who are not yet Christians, and they don't see your faith eye to eye. So Romans chapter 14. Also, the notes today, if you didn't get the notes on the way in here, uh, or maybe we ran out because I think a bunch of people uh, already got them, uh, on our website, just go to gracema.org and click the bulletin, first thing on the homepage there, and right in the bulletin is our sermon notes. And the cool thing is if you fill in the answer and it's wrong, it'll correct it with the right answer and, and get it in there. Uh, while you're turning to Romans chapter 14, let me just say hi to all of the guys at Lorraine Correctional, to your families. On this holiday, I'm sure it's especially tough to be separated, and, uh, and our hearts go out for you. And we hope you have a really good uh, July 4th despite that. And others of you engaging in different places from around Northeast Ohio or different states, even countries, really glad to have you with us today as well. What do you do when Christians disagree? And we could add other things like, what about worship style? Like, should we, you know, have more traditional music? Is contemporary okay? Or what about schooling for your kids if you're a parent? Like, should you send your kids to public school? Is it Christian school? Is it homeschool? Um, what about uh, Bible translation? You, know, you say, Jonathan, I disagree with the Bible translation you use, or political views. Is big government better or small government better? Uh, is it okay to, if, if the topic is war, is it okay for a Christian to serve in the military? There's all kinds of issues on which we disagree, but can I just say this, that the perspective of Jesus is that we, that we get this right, because this can cause such division between Christians, and really people start looking at us and going, get your act together for Pete's sake, right? And, and so Jesus, here's what happens, Jesus, on the night before he goes to the cross, it's his longest recorded prayer. You can read it in John chapter 17. And Jesus prays for a number of things, but one of the key things that Jesus says is this. He's praying to his father, and he goes, Father, I'm asking that you would take all of my followers and that you would give them a unity, that you would make them one, even as you and I are one, and that they will know that you love them just as much as you love me. Friends, guys, call a time out there. That is an unbelievable statement, isn't it? To think that God the Father loves you as much as he loves his son Jesus. That's what Jesus says in John 17. He says, Father, I want them to know how loved they are. I want them to be one because I want their testimony to a watching world to be strong. He wants us to have an impact. And when we get all tied up in knots over different things about disagreeing, the things I mentioned, 
that, that people just go, wow, I don't really know if I even want to be a part of that. Like, I mean, if that's what it, knowing Jesus, following Jesus, just sort of puts you in this sandbox where you're just fighting with each other and throwing sand at each other, I don't know if I really want that. And so Jesus prays for us to have unity. And then the Apostle Paul here in Romans chapter 14 sort of picks up that theme. How do you live and serve with other believers who might not see eye to eye with you? And for both of them, this is the key to really being the kind of church and Jesus followers that is an attraction to a watching world. That uh, we not waste our energy on disagreements, but on really service and making a positive impact. So let's see what Paul says here, beginning in chapter 14 of Romans, verse 1. He says this, accept other believers who are weak in faith. And don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. Now, just before we go on here, it's going to help to know what Paul says. When he says, accept those who are weak in faith, what does he mean? In this chapter, just to give you a contest, he talks with people with weak faith and people with strong faith. People with strong faith are those who have more liberty to do things that are not clearly spelled out in the Scripture. Like just, for instance, drinking alcohol. People who have a weak conscience or a weak faith are those who draw the lines more narrowly on things that are disputable matters. Where Paul would say, I think it's okay to do these things, but these people go, I'm not really sure. And he goes, they have a weaker faith. So just to give you that context, he's talking about strong and weak faith. And here's how he goes on in verse 2. We'll read the next several verses. For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything, but another believer with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. In the same way, some think one day is more holy than another day, like the Sabbath. While others think every day is alike, you should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. Those who worship the Lord on a special day do it to honor him. Those who eat any kind of food do the, um, any kind of food do so to honor the Lord since they give thanks to God before eating. And those who refuse to eat certain kinds of foods also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. For we don't live for ourselves or die to ourselves, we live to the Lord. Now, if you read the entire chapter, you're going to see that there were three issues that they were dealing with that in particular context. And we deal with a couple of them actually today. One of them was, is it okay to eat meat? Or should everybody be a vegetarian? That was number one. The second one was, how do you observe the Sabbath or Jewish holy days? And even today we might say, you know, is it okay for your kids to play soccer on Sunday? Or is it okay to cut the grass or work or whatever? And then third, the third one was, what about alcohol consumption? If you drop down to verse 21, you'll see that he talks about that. And uh, Paul calls these disputable matters because there's not clear teaching in the Bible. So let's draw this out here. Uh, some of you have seen me do this chart. If you've been in our new members class, uh, we've, we've done this before, and I found this to be a helpful way to sort of uh, do a schematic to what Paul is mentioning here in Romans chapter 14 and 15. So at the center of what we think we have our beliefs, and by beliefs, what we mean by that are things like, you know, Jesus is that, that God created the world and he spoke it into being. And we're here because he created us and he loves us. And that Jesus came into the world, he was fully God and he was also fully human and he lived a perfect life. And then he died in my place. And then he rose again three days later from death 
and uh, get back to the screen there, and, and he uh, lives today, that he's coming again, and that if you know him, you're going to be in heaven, that there's a heaven and a hell, and those who put their trust in Jesus, that by his grace through our faith that we're forgiven and we're saved. Those are our beliefs. These are unchanging. There's a second one here that we would say, and this is what Paul is talking about here in Romans chapter 14, and that would be the area of our convictions. These are what could also be called disputable matters. And this right here is what Paul is talking about in this chapter. He's talking about, he's saying, I'm talking about convictions, things that are not your beliefs, but things that are, they're not taught in the scripture, but you sort of take a scriptural principle and you tease it out. And you go, the reason I don't gamble is because of this scriptural principle. It doesn't actually say don't gamble, but it, you know, and so that's my convictions. And then the third one right here, is our preferences. And this would be like, you know, I like country music, I like classical music, I like short hair, I like long hair. Some of us just wish we had hair. Uh, and, and so there's, you know, there's those kind of things. And so preferences, even when we were building this facility, the question was, should we do pews or, or you know, these cushy seats? And that's a preference. Like, there's nothing in the scripture that tells us, even on principle, like what we should do. Certainly not a belief. But here's what Paul's saying. The people, he's not talking about beliefs here in Romans chapter 14. He's going, we should hold firmly to our beliefs, but we should wrestle with our convictions. But people, on their convictions, were getting all tied in knots about different convictions that they had. And Paul goes, you know what? Um, it's okay to not think alike on every area. But here's our tendency. Look, look at this right here. Our tendency is to make our preferences convictions, to think country music is the best, the best kind of music there is, or rock music is of the devil, or whatever. And we make our preferences convictions, and we make our convictions beliefs, right? And we go, everybody should think the way I do about alcohol, movies, war, whatever, you know, politics. And, and we make our convictions beliefs. And, and, and it's important for us to distinguish between these three. In this passage, Paul's saying, what do you do on this topic of convictions? Now, just for the record here, Paul, you know, we talked about weak and strong faith. Some people have really a lot of latitude, strong faith. They draw the lines more narrowly, weak faith. Paul would be in the strong camp. Paul says, I think it's okay to eat meat. I think it's all right, to, you know, to have, uh, you know, to... I don't, you have to have one special day as the Sabbath. That changed from the Old Testament to the New. Jesus set that aside. And, and I also think it's okay to drink alcohol. So Paul did that. But he also knew that in these areas right here, whether you have strong or weak faith, that there is a, there's a, a, a temptation for each of us. Let's just, first of all, let me mention this right here. Um, there in your notes, you'll see this, that on our beliefs, we should have unity, uh, in our convictions, we have what? Liberty, and in our, in all things, he says, we should have what? Charity, or you could say love, that, that it ought to, love ought to cover everything, and so he's saying, right here, we have unity, we really hold tightly to our beliefs, convictions, there's more liberty, and so Paul, as I mentioned earlier, listen to what Paul says here in verse 14, Paul tells us his own view, he says, I know and am convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus that no food, 
in and of itself is wrong to eat. That was his conviction. But then he goes on, and a little bit earlier, and in verse 3, he talks about where we need to be careful, whatever view we have. Here's what he says in verse 3. He says, those who feel free to eat anything must not what? Look down on those who don't, and those who don't eat certain foods must not do what? Condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. So what are the tendencies? In your notes it says this. A person with a strong conscience who feels free to do stuff, they have a tendency to be condescending. A person who draws the lines more narrowly, they have a tendency to be critical. Here's what this looks like. Two parents are talking, it's early October, and one of the parents says to the other, goes, hey, what are your kids going to dress up as for Halloween? And the other parent gets a weird look on their face, and they go, we don't celebrate holiday, Halloween. Yeah, we don't, we don't do that. And there's an awkward pause, and the other person goes, <laughs> what about the Browns? Like, uh, Cleveland, you, you know, whatever, and they, they go on. The next day, the person who asked the question about Halloween is talking to a friend, and they go, I was talking to this person yesterday. They live in such a religious bubble. I mean, they think it's wrong to go trick-or-treating. Can you believe that? That is so dumb. Condescending, right? The other person goes and talks to a friend, and they go, I was talking to this person yesterday. They're like an occultic kind of behavior. I mean, they're like, it's this, you know, I don't know what else to call it, but their kids are involved in this demonic kind of thing, you know? And, and what is that? They're critical, Right? You might go, John, then where do you stand on this? I'm not going to tell you. Uh, <laughs> because the issue here is that it's a what? It's, it's a conviction. There's a liberty on this one, right? And he goes, the tendency is we either condemn or we... So Paul tells us, and I wonder, let me just ask, I wonder which, one, which camp you would be more in. Are you more the condescending type? You look at other people and go, that is so dumb. Or you look at people and you go, I cannot believe they're doing that. That's crazy. Maybe you go, well, it depends on the issue. So what does Paul, how does he talk to us about this? He has, in, he has input for both of us. So let's look and see first, what does he say to people who have strong faith, who, who are, have more liberty? And you'll see this in your notes. First of all, he says, accept those who differ from you. If you look over at the next chapter, chapter 15, verse 7, we're looking about a chapter and a half today. Here's what he says in 15, verse 7. It bleeds into that chapter. He says, accept one another then. How? Just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. When I accept other people the way Christ has, I actually bring praise to God. He doesn't say, hey, let me tell you, agree with each other. He says what? Accept each other. So how did Jesus accept you? You know what I'm grateful for? When I came to Jesus, I came with all kinds of misunderstandings and, you know, I, wrong beliefs and all kinds of stuff. Am I alone in that? I think all of us. You know what Jesus did? He just accepted me. He, he loves us enough to say, yeah, eventually you're going to get there, but I love you right where you are, and I'm going to work with you. Paul says, that's the way I want you to accept other people around you. I want you to just accept them with their, whatever faults you think they have and, and to be gracious to them. Don't belittle them. Make fun of people who have tighter convictions than you do. Accept them as they are. Next, he says, don't be argumentative. In verse 1 here of chapter 14, he says, accept other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. It doesn't mean you can't ever discuss things, but it means that you don't go into every conversation going, oh man, guns loaded, baby. 
I'm going to prove to this person how ignorant they are in their understanding of the Scripture that if they were really a Jesus-honoring person, they would have the same convictions I do. He goes, don't, why would you do that? Don't be argumentative. And uh, focus on the majors, on what you believe, what holds you together. And then in time, when you have the relational credibility, you can start talking about the other stuff. Next piece of advice comes in verse 13. He says this, let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. I know and am convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. But if someone believes it is wrong, then for that person it is wrong. And if another person is distressed by what you eat, you are not acting in love if you eat it. Don't let your eating, what? Ruin someone for whom Christ died. Here's what Paul is saying. Listen to this. Look up here. He goes, yes, you have liberty, but don't let your liberty take precedence over loving the people around you. Let your liberty take second place to helping other people. In other words, be a stepping stone for their growth, not a trip hazard. Let me give you an example. Mary and I have a friend who was in the restaurant industry in his 30s, and he did very well. And, uh, but restaurant in- industry is, can be tough, as some of you know. It can, it's just, it's very demanding. And he began to get into substance abuse. Alcohol, uh, he, he, he dealt with alcoholism, and it was, and his life began to, to deteriorate relationships and all the rest, and he had had a relationship with Jesus, and he just got, he strayed. Let me just stop and say this. If that describes in any way your situation right now, can I just tell you, there is hope for you. You do not have to stay where you are today. We have uh, Keys to Recovery on Tuesday nights. We have Galvanized on Friday. In fact, guys, Lorraine Correctional, you're you're filling up like two Galvanized groups there. I'm, I'm so proud of you guys who are involved in that way. But don't stay stuck. Get the help you need. Well, this guy did. This guy in the restaurant industry got help, got in a, a recovery program, sobriety, and, uh, and came back to a relationship with Jesus as well. But he said this. He said, you know what was tough for me? He said, I started going to church, and he said, I would go out with people in my age group, and, and we'd go out, and, and very often, more often than not, you know, someone would just, they'd all order their alcohol, or someone get a pitcher of beer or whatever. And he goes, you know what I long for? I just long for one person to go, hey, before we order here, would it be helpful for anybody here if like we didn't do alcohol tonight? Would that, would that be a genuine ask? He goes, that would have, I would have felt so cared for because whenever I got together, I wanted to be with them, but I always felt like I was on the cusp of doing something. I was like, oh my goodness. I had a guy this week, it was really, I was studying the passage, and a guy this week, I'm out with some friends, and he's getting ready to get a beer. And right before he does, he goes, hey, just want to check, would, would that be cool? Is anybody, would that be an issue and, you know, with someone in your journey? And I thought, wow, way to go. That's like awesome. Does that mean you're not allowed to drink? No, what it means, though, is that you subject your liberty to the, out of love to the people around you. You want to be a stepping stone for their growth and not a trip hazard. He goes on here in verse 18. He says, if you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God and others will approve of you too. So then let us aim for what? Harmony, a musical term there in the church and try to build each other up. You value harmony in God's family over your uh, personal freedom. If you're a guitar player and and you're at home just jamming, you know, and you're playing whatever you like to play and you can do whatever you want, right? 
But if you're part of a jazz ensemble, what do you do? You join that jazz ensemble and you're sort of finding your way so that you're not just going, hey, I'm playing whatever I want to play, you guys fit in with me. Right? You sort of you find your, your, the rhythm and you go, okay, the, the drummer and, the, you know, and you, you sort of play in harmony with the people around you. You're no longer a solo act. And Paul's saying the same thing in the church. He goes, you're, you're not a solo act. This isn't just about you and Jesus and, and you do whatever you want to do. He goes, I, I want there to be harmony in the church. Think of it like, you know, a, a musical kind of thing, like you're harmony over freedom. Verse 20, he says, don't tear apart the work of God. Don't ruin the music he's creating over what you eat. Then Paul gets practical. He indicates that it's okay to enjoy your freedom privately or in a context where you won't offend. Look at verse 22. He says this, you may believe there's nothing wrong with what you are doing, but keep it between yourself and God. Blessed are those who don't feel guilty for doing something they have decided is right. So he says, you can do something, but at times keep it between you and God. You know what that means in that day? That means that the meat-eating Gentiles could have a backyard barbecue on their July 4th and bring out the pork, and they're just enjoying it. But then they go to the church potluck with their Jewish friends, and what do they do? They leave the bacon out of the baked beans, right? Because they're like, I know my Jewish friends, some of them are still this thing about pork. Paul had that vision in Acts 10, it's all okay to eat, but some of them still feel such a revulsion about eating bacon that I'm not going to bring it to the church potluck, but I'll have it at home. That's not being hypocritical, that's just being loving, right? Let's go back to the guy in the restaurant industry. You're out with him, you ask, hey, does anybody have an issue with me ordering a pitcher of beer? And he goes, actually, you know what, if you wouldn't mind... I'm in a recovery program right now. It would mean a lot. To, I mean, if you guys are okay with it, you go, oh, hey, no problem at all. I'll take a Diet Coke. And you get your Diet Coke. But the next night, you're having dinner at home, and maybe you have a glass of wine. He says, you can do that. He says, blessed is the person who's not condemned by what they eat or drink. You drink in moderation. But Paul says, there are times you might enjoy that freedom privately. Why? Because you care about people. You love them. You love them more than you love your freedom. So that's what Paul says to people who have a strong conscience. How about to those who have a weak conscience? He addresses them too. And he starts off with similar advice in verse 3 back in chapter 14. And here's what he says. Those who won't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do for God has accepted them. He's saying this. He's going, if, if God has accepted people with whom I disagree in matters of conviction... If he accepts them, can't I as well? Like, don't, don't condemn them. Don't go, I can't believe they do that, and I can't believe. And He builds on that in the next verse here, verse 4. He says, who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. In other words, let God handle conviction in others. Have you, do you know anybody in your life who sort of enjoys the role of the Holy Spirit, of conviction? And they'll go and they'll go, hey, what you're doing right there, that's wrong. And just while I'm at it, that's wrong right there, and that's wrong there, and that, 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 and that, and that's wrong too. You shouldn't be doing any of that stuff. If you really want to be a godly Christian and a follower of Jesus, you shouldn't be doing any of that. And they get this, this they, be, they start to think that they are the convicting voice of the Holy Spirit. Um, does that mean you can never speak up? No, but Paul says, hey, leave it first of all to God, because on these issues right here, he says, they answer to their master, which you happen not to be. Their master is Jesus, and so they're going to answer to him someday. Now, if you have the relational credibility, you say, hey, I would love to talk about 
I feel a freedom not, or I don't feel freedom to do that, and you do. Can we chat about that and just understand our views from Scripture and how we came to, to our, our own convictions? Let me mention one more here. Be open to changing your convictions carefully. Paul is interesting here. Uh, in verse 23, if you drop down there, here's what he says. He says, if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something, you are sinning if you go ahead and do it, for you are not following your convictions. Let me give an example here. Suppose that you're on a trip with some college buddies. It's been 10 years since you graduated from college, and, and so you're, you're with these four other guys, and, and they're like, hey, we should get a tattoo to commemorate this occasion. This would be awesome. But you have an issue that it's not just you think a tattoo might look terrible in 40 years. You also have this inner thing of, I don't know if that's even right. I thought there was something in the Bible. And, and they're like, uh, well, you know, hey, that's cool. Like, we'll get it. And, and we were thinking the scripture verse, you know, from Proverbs says, iron sharpening iron is one brother encouraging, you know, and, and, we, and we thought we'd do that. If they get a tattoo, their conscience is clean. It's not a sin. If you get a tattoo and your conscience is eating you up, Paul says it's a sin for you. Same activity, not a sin, is a sin. And in other words, offensive to God, not offensive to God, based on your conscience. Because Paul doesn't want us to keep on searing our conscience and to say, oh, it's okay to do things that my conscience tells me not to do. But here's the big challenge or the big the thing we can say can adjust. He says, you can educate your conscience. That's the implication. Paul says, I want you to know that it's not wrong to eat. And, and we might say for these guys right here, if, if they sit down over dinner one night and they go, well, tell us why you think tattoos are wrong. He goes, well, there's a verse in Leviticus. And they go, well, you know, that's part of the law that Jesus set aside with, you know, with unclean foods and with the sacrifice. We don't do any of that anymore. And we believe that it's okay. And, and you might say, and I'm not saying, some of you might think it's still wrong, right? Uh, personally, I don't think it's wrong to have a tattoo. I don't have one right now. But, but if that guy says, oh, my goodness. I, I, I can see what they're saying. That makes sense to me. He educates his conscience. He gets a tattoo. He's not sinning. All of a sudden, he's going, I have liberty in this matter. Does that make sense? So Paul is saying, when you're coming to convictions here, he has advice for both the weaker and the stronger Christian, wherever their faith falls. And his overall thing, he goes, friends, I want you to put your relationships ahead of your, like, having to be right about your convictions. I want you to care about each other in your growth. Now, just in closing here, uh, there are five questions you'll see in your notes. I'm just going to mention them really briefly here. But let's say you're wondering, so is it okay for me to, let's say, Jonathan, you never answer the one about gambling. Like, what, can I go to the Jack Casino? Is that all right? Or what are some questions I'll just tell you that I ask in my life based on what Paul says here in Romans chapter 14 and 15 that help us to decide about what is okay to do. Number, question number one, can I take Jesus with me in this situation? Someone I, I love talks about it this way. They said, if you're going someplace, can you open the door for Jesus and go, hey, Jesus, come on in. I'm glad you're with me. Can you do that? Is he honored or would he be dishonored in some way? Or the activity, could, would he participate in the activity or whatever you're doing or would you go, no, that would be pretty awkward. That helps you to decide, should you be engaged in that behavior or not. Secondly, will this be a help or a hurdle for an unbeliever to come to Christ? That verse in 1 Corinthians 10 can help to shape our 
strategy, Paul says, I don't just do what I like or what is best for me, but what is best for them so that they may be saved. That's the kind of heart we want, right? I want to see my, the people I love come to know Jesus. I don't typically hang out at bars, but do I go to bars at times? Yeah. Why? I, I go with Mary generally, and uh, <laughs> because when she's not smoking pot, uh, and, <laughs> and <laughs> she's going to really have me today. Uh, that anniversary we just celebrated, yep. But we'll go, why? Because there's a party, there's some kind of graduation or reunion, there's some going on, and because I care about those people. And I say, Jesus, I'm going here with you and want the influence to flow from me to them and not the other or wrong way. And so I'm going to go here because I, I want them to know I'm not afraid to be here or something like that. I, I want to care about people, and if this is where we're going to meet, so be it. Number three, if I do this, will I damage the work that God is doing in someone's life? Um, Am I going to be a stumbling block to someone? Can I just say this? When he mentions a stumbling block, he's not saying that one person in your whole group can hold you captive to like, they go, hey, just so you know. We, there was this lady in a church that my brother and sister-in-law attended, and this lady in the church goes, I think it's wrong for any woman to wear shorts. She told it to my sister-in-law. That, that's a stumbling block for me. Does my sister-in-law and every woman in the church have to say, well, I guess we can't wear shorts because it's a stumbling block to her? No, no, you're not held captive by one person. What it's saying is more, go back to the restaurant manager guy, is that I'll curb my behavior. The stumbling block is if I engage in that, and it might cause him to stumble back into a pattern of behavior that really is going to hurt his walk with Christ, I'm willing to back off of that right now, right? He's saying, am I going to damage someone, the work that God is doing in someone's life? Number four, could this cause any erosion of unity in my church? If I have a T-shirt that I go, I think this T-shirt is awesome, or there's this thing I want to put on my social media account, but I know it's going to feel like I'm screaming and just irritate a bunch of people, you go, you don't have enough courage to do it. I go, no, I have enough love not to do it because of liberty that I choose to put underneath my love for other people. I'd rather have a conversation face-to-face -face and go, hey, I'd be glad to talk about that. But I'm not going to put it on a T-shirt or on my social media account because I, I don't want an erosion of unity among people that God loves. And finally, do I have any inner hesitations about this? It goes back to the last verses in verse, uh, chapter 14. If I have inner hesitations, I need to wait. It's I either need to educate my conscience or I need to hold off. Let me close in this way. I'm really grateful that we are in a diverse church family. When I mean diverse, I mean we're diverse in a lot of different ways. And I love that. I believe God loves that. We're not diverse in our beliefs, that core. I mean, at the point of saying the Apostles' Creed, we go, we don't, we don't apologize for that. That's something we hold firmly to the truths that we believe the Bible teaches clearly. But on convictions and preferences, we live with each other's differences, Right? Why do we do that? Because we're on mission together. We want to access the power of God together in prayer. We want to give to make an impact. We want to reach out with compassion and, and kindness to people in our community. We want to serve however we can and say, Lord, would you make the love that is present among us an attraction for other people to go, I want to be a part of that group. They, they, they have things that they definitely believe, 
But in the other areas, man, you don't have to like fall lockstep in line with what Pastor Jonathan thinks is his convictions. May God work in us so that as Jesus said uh, in John chapter 13, he says, I want you to love each other because by your love for each other, they will know that you're my what? You're my followers. And that they'll be drawn in. So if that's your heartbeat and you say, God, that's what I want to happen, I'm going to invite you to join me in asking Jesus to make this a growing reality in our lives. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you today for your patience with us. I know I get things wrong. I I, I know I'm going to get to heaven someday. I'm going to realize, Lord, that there are some things that I was off base on. Thank you that you accept me today anyway. Lord, I pray that you'd give us the same kind of care and compassion for people around us who see it differently and that we would have your humility, Jesus, and that you would do something in us and through us as your people, that we really would be in harmony with each other in such a way that others would be drawn in and would want to know you. Lord, ultimately, we want other people to see you, to encounter you, and to experience the life that you offer. So would you use us toward that end, we pray. All of us, individually and corporately, together we pray in your powerful name. And everyone said, amen. May it be. This uh, song we're going to sing is really just a continuation of of that prayer to say, God, I'm all yours. I lay it all down before you. So let's stand together as team leads us.